Hey everybody, I'm Garrett. And I'm Melissa. We've been married for eight years and have two kids, Caleb and Sadie. Over the last few years, we have fallen in love with the scriptures and are learning how digging into God's word has helped us grow deeper with each other and those around us. We want to be real about our lives, our struggles, and our joys. This is Growing Deeper. Hey guys, before we get to the podcast, just want to remind you to rate and review the podcast. That'll make sure that if somebody looks up Exodus or Ruth, uh, that they will be able to pull up our podcast and, and see what we have to say on different sections of the Bible. Also, if you have any questions or comments or things that you want to share with us, uh, you can email us now. We now have an email address of growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. That's growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you, even just uh, saying, hey, we're listening and really appreciate it or something like that. I don't know. Uh, shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Now on to the podcast. Welcome back. We hope everybody has had a really great week. I know that there's this has been kind of a transition time for a lot of people of maybe going back to school or having kids that are going back to school or I don't know, just trying to get back into a routine of of some things that might feel a little bit more normal in um, a time that has been just like so chaotic. And I mean, I think still for a lot of people, it's probably still pretty chaotic with mm-hmm. with schools closing to be cleaned and everything. But um, hope you guys have been having a good week. And I hope that we are starting to get on a path of a more normal yeah. Future. <laughs> well, like, we got to see, uh, which we didn't really watch it, but it was like, you were saying that Udawa High School football was on TV. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, unlike their YouTube channel. Right. I was like, wow. So I, finally I don't know. getting to watch some football. I, I, I passed, um, I passed a, a school and I noticed the girls, high school girls soccer team outside practicing. And I was like, wow, it's just like really good to see, like, high schoolers doing normal things right normal now normal high school things yeah yes. yeah um it it's just really good to see it makes things feel like not so that there's some hope that there's some yeah there's some, some hope, hope that there's some normalcy in the future so so, so speaking of that um we're going to jump into our highs and lows um i don't think garrett has a low this week no i don't i don't necessarily have a low so this week. congrats on your perfect <laughs> week <laughs> it wasn't a perfect week uh, on your generally good week. Um, for me, if I had to, I overall have had a, a good week as well. Um, I would say that if I had a low, it would be that I've had, I, despite the signs of hope with COVID and like the way the numbers are trending and everything in a, in a better direction. Um, I've had some moments this week where I've just been kind of sad of the things that we have lost or missed because of COVID. Um, I found myself just really missing going to the church building on Sunday mornings and just like that, even just from like a routine standpoint, just like having that where I see people and I don't know, just like I've really enjoyed our like at home stuff and our small group and everything. Um, I've been, I like, I love that. But I also think that there is something about, like, you know, getting to send our kids to, like, their children's worship thing and, you know, like, just certain things, them going to a Sunday school class that I just, I miss them having the opportunity to have. I miss me having the opportunity to, like, go and listen with to a sermon without, like, a kid, you mm-hmm. know, like a child interruption kind of thing and um just how good it is for us and how good it is for the kids um it's not just that though it's it's just other things that we've been that we've kind of missed out on because Mm -hmm. of all the the COVID. well just just in general with the with the kids right now it's been really hard because because you don't know what the right thing to do is with them and do we take them because we would we would love to be among other people. I mean, if it was mm-hmm. just me and you, we would go to more stuff. Yeah. But whenever it starts involving the kids and we're we're kind of we're nervous about, well, you know, like are we putting our kids at risk and if we go do this or that and so it, it's just really hard to navigate that. And like even and, even knowing that they're at like a lower risk because they're kids, it's still just like But still there it, are kids. They're your like, kids and you're trying to protect your kids. Yeah. And so that's a really hard thing to navigate whenever you would love to be 
more involved with certain things. I, I mean, that that's something that I, I crave and I, I want more human interaction and being able to talk with other people through, um, through the scriptures and through, mm-hmm. um, our, you know, our interactions that we have throughout the week. I mean, it's just something that I very much miss. Um, and we would do more of it if it wasn't for our kids, but we're trying to navigate those waters and that's just difficult it's it's difficult to figure out how to how to do that the right way how are we being smart and and stuff and you know but with the I think with that home I've really enjoyed that aspect of just being able to have some of it even though we can't have necessarily all of it um and and two I, I think it it'll help us generate um closer relationships I've I've loved the people that we've had our EB at home with and have a, you know, I think we can, we can grow closer with them even more so than we would have if we were in maybe the church congregation Mm -hmm. aspect of it. This will be even, even better. Yeah. There's definitely like good things that have come out of doing different things. Um, It's just been, it's just been tough and trying to figure out what our normal should look like. But It like comes at a time this week to be feeling that way, to be feeling sad about the things that I've lost because of COVID, like the kind of superficial things really in a way. Um, but then at the same time, having so much hope for the future because like Caleb's going to be starting back at preschool and mm-hmm. um, he's going to be doing soccer again. And so like that's really exciting and I'm just hoping that all goes smoothly. Yeah. Um, but that's exciting on the on the flip side of that. Yeah. I would say I'll go ahead and do my high. Okay. So I thought my high was going to be my low. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh Caleb had, sure. Caleb had his first dentist appointment and um admittedly it was later in his life than it should have been, but I was very nervous about it and I was going to I was going to do it earlier in COVID but but then COVID happened, the dentist offices were closed and everything, so couldn't take him but he I mean like for the longest time he was terrified to get his hair cut Mm -hmm. and so like seeing how that's gone and seeing how much he hates the doctor's office I was just like oh my goodness like he is he even going to sit in the chair Mm -hmm. like so I did everything I could to try to prepare he does pretty good with haircuts now but he still doesn't like certain like a trimmer to be used next to his ear and stuff um, but anyway, so I was nervous about that. I did everything I could to try to prepare him. Um, we bought him a Mario electric toothbrush so that he could kind of get used to the feeling of like, and the, the mechan- sound the of like a mechanical sound. toothbrush, yes. even though it wasn't going to be a Mario toothbrush right. at the dentist. Um, let's see, what else did I do? Oh, um, I played dentist with him where we would like take turns laying back in the recliner and like he would brush my teeth and... I'll use air quote, floss my teeth, because it wasn't really. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It was just more like touching the front of my teeth with floss. Um, I can't, I think I did, oh, and we looked at YouTube videos of like kids going to the dentist. Getting root canals. (laughs) Right. (laughs) No. (laughs) Here's a kid Uh, screaming. We did not, we did not show him like Finding Nemo. In that scene uh, on Finding Nemo, whenever he's, whenever the fish is on top of him and they're screaming and stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. and it's not like actually they're in pain, but the child that's out, sitting outside in the waiting room sees all the commotion inside, yeah. like that patient is dying, yeah. getting something done. Yeah, to did not team. show him that. Uh, the only thing I will say is one of the videos I showed him, it was like a pediatric dentist and they had like the most amazing like waiting room I've ever seen and it was mm-hmm. and so I was like we need to watch a more like basic realistic <laughs> yeah. don't yeah because like first Let, off let's let's keep the let's keep the bar kind of low but make it feel like it's going to be exciting too most like waiting rooms are like kind of closed now mm-hmm. like we've had it to where we've stayed in the car and them come out and get us kind of thing and stuff so anyway but having said all that, it ended up being my high of the week because Caleb did so well. Um, he was a little hesitant to sit in the chair, but he eventually sat in my lap in the chair. And so we just laid back and he was just talking and 
saying how awesome he was doing and telling <laughs> the hygienists about all the things and like he's been doing to pretty much everybody lately because he's like, I haven't seen people in a while. Would you mm-hmm. like to know about my entire day? Right. Like down to what I ate for breakfast. Yeah. Um, so it ended up being a really great thing. I'm glad to have it behind us. And yeah, and you, you just laid... It was just good. You laid the groundwork so well for that that... He was excited about it. He it wasn't it it was so much of a perception thing. Mm-hmm. If we if we had if you had done that, you know, in a different way, it could have gone totally you know, downhill really quickly. Yeah. But the way that you led up to it and it was it it really it really went to show how uh, controlling kind of his perceptions of what things are can actually affect the outcome. And yeah. make it so that it, it's actually better if we can, um, if we can show him it's not so bad, you know, like it, it'll, it'll be okay and, uh, it'll be fun. You know, if he really believes that it's going to be fun, then maybe we can make it fun. Yeah. And, um, just kind of that, I, I, that was such a big deal to making that successful was like what the groundwork that you laid for it. Um, so I was really surprised with it too, but you know, with what you had done before to to lead up to that made that like possible. I was like, I just at least have to do whatever I can possibly do to make this like go well. And mm-hmm. that way at the end of the day, I can say I tried, you yeah. know? And so I don't know if that's what helped it pay off or if he's just growing up. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, so my highs are, are really, so I've been, I've been running every weekend and trying to get my, mileage up on Saturdays so I do a long run on Saturdays and um so I I reached my half marathon length on Saturday so I've been trying to get that for a few weeks now and finally accomplished that and so that was awesome um and just felt really good and I had a blistering headache that evening so that's probably that's probably that's probably my low he had a really bad like migraine yeah it was like a horrible headache that that followed it and um but I did it. It was it was faster than the the half marathon pace that we did when we were younger, and I think twelve. I think we did it in two thousand twelve. Um, yeah. And so it was actually a faster pace than I did, much faster pace than what I did then. And so I was really happy with that, and um, kind of feels like I accomplished something during the the quarantine stage when you can't go and do any races. Um, and then Sunday morning, I took Caleb to the driving range and just had a good time with him for a couple hours and let him, you know, hit golf balls and stuff. And he, he really enjoyed that. And me and him just had a, a good time of not necessarily being in the house and around everything that we normally do and something that he, I think he'll really enjoy to do in the future. So that was something that I think was a high for me in that you kind of get a glimpse of the hey you know he's really getting the hang of certain things and may, maybe me and him can start you know going and enjoying some specific things together mm-hmm. that like I that I haven't been able to do in a while I mean I remember when I was little my grandfather taking me to the golf course and and he he would I, I remember he he thought like he got after me about I like was always chasing the golf ball down or something like that and he was like no this is you walk you know, this is a take it easy sport. And, I think um, Caleb might have a hard time with that. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, we'll probably be very much the same with that. Yeah. But I can kind of see the the horizon a little bit and seeing like, hey, maybe he would be willing to do something like that, and that would be a good way to get him outside, to get him some energy out of him, and you know, maybe teach him something at the same time. And yeah. so, I kind of kind of look forward to that. That might that might turn into a. A Sunday morning tradition for us right now and while we're not going to the church building yeah um so uh yeah so those are that's probably my high so yeah. um with that we're gonna we're gonna transition into uh Exodus chapter 9 if you remember where we left off in Exodus chapter 8 um you know we're, we're going through we're kind of right in the middle of the plagues we finished uh the fourth plague, which is the first, you know, the first of the second set of three. Uh, so there's some very distinct details of where you are in the sets of three as to what ends up happening. 
it's kind of the more descriptive one uh, with the flies and he's told to release he's told you know thus says Yahweh release my people so they may serve me um, and the whole point being still like so that you may know that I am Yahweh in the midst of the land and it, it just becomes a little bit more detailed um, as to what's going on in the description of here's the reasons that I'm doing this then you get in maybe the second and the third of each of the sets of three. And um, it just seems like Pharaoh is really on the cusp of kind of giving in. Uh, and you can kind of sense him a little bit more every time, breaking down a little bit more. And, uh, and, and in verse 28 of chapter 8, we have the, I myself will release you and I will sacrifice, to, uh, and you will sacrifice to Yahweh your God in the desert. Only sure me, surely... You must not go far. Pray for me. He makes the request, or really the statement, to pray for me. Look, I am going out. And then Moses says, look, I'm going out from you, and I will pray to Yahweh so that the flies will depart from Pharaoh and from his servants, from the people tomorrow. And so he takes the initiative now to say, this is when this is going to happen. Whereas what we saw before was he left the honor up to Pharaoh mm-hmm. to say, you decide when that's going to happen. And now Moses kind of took that and said, tomorrow is when it's going to happen. And then um, it, it feels like Pharaoh's ready to give in. Um, but then we have that last statement there in verse th- 32. Like once the, once the consequences are gone from his face, uh, it seems that he reverts back. And Pharaoh made his heart insensitive uh, also this time, and he did not release the people. So we were kind of having that recapitulation of this theme of like Pharaoh just is continuing to fall into this once once the consequences are gone, he hardens his heart and he refuses to listen to Yahweh and he refuses to give in to him. And so that that's kind of the point is that um, Yahweh is kind of making a uh, an example out of Pharaoh and Every time Pharaoh hardens his heart, then he's going to bring another thing. It's just going to be a whole nother wave. And so we're going to go into the second of the second set of three. So this is going to be a little bit less description. I just want to, like the chapters don't lay it out as in the sets of three. So we need to know where we are um, in in the sets. But we're kind of right in the middle of all the plagues. This is plague five uh, that we're beginning in chapter nine. So you want to read this, this first section, Melissa? All right. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the fields, on your horses and donkeys and camels, and on your cattle and sheep and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. The Lord set a time and said, Tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. And the next day the Lord did it. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. Pharaoh sent men to investigate and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. Yet his heart was unyielding, and he would not let the people go. So we we have, again, we have a little bit of description. This time now he's told uh, to... Um, you know, to go to Pharaoh instead of waiting for him like he did in the previous one and going down to the, the river. Uh, he is now waiting, or he goes to to Pharaoh and proclaims it again, release my people so that they may serve me. Um, but, you know, if you're going to refuse, then this is going to come on you. And so, again, this is the same things that are repeated over and over again. And I think there's a purpose to that. I think, you know, we, I, I think we read this and we just be like, man, this just seems so repetitive. Mm-hmm. You know, this just seems like it's over and over again. The same things are being said. And I understand that from a narrative standpoint from our Western eyes. We don't like narrative that just seems to say the same words over and over again. Yeah. But that's not what this, this is not what the culture that this is in. I, I think um, it's trying to show um, how we need to hear something over and over and over and over again. And maybe on the fourth or the fifth time or the sixth time that we hear it, something new is struck, struck into us. And we say, Oh, I didn't know that's what that meant. Right. I didn't know that's what he was talking about. And so this is kind of this repeating 
this repeating theme so that we can see it. And then it's happening, it happens all throughout scripture of this just repeating themes and repeating, um, you know, uh, lines and words that are, that occur. And it, it's like, you don't pick up necessarily on it the first time, but the more you meditate over it, the more it becomes real to you. And I think we need this repetitive, um, aspect of it to just, to try to show us who we really are and that we just, like we do it ourselves. We, we experience something bad. We run to Yahweh. We say, Yahweh, why? And then he's like, okay, I'll be, you know, like I'll set you free from that. And then we revert back to where we were. And then it's like, oh, play God, why? And then you just do it over and over again. That is the human, that's human history. Yeah. Right here in the middle of the plagues, uh, this short, very short narrative that's happening over a short period of time is like, this is what humanity has done over and over and over again. We run to God when we feel powerless. And then whenever he, whenever that thing is gone, then all of a sudden we're like, eh, Yahweh's not such a big deal. And, you know, God's not that big. I don't need God. Why do I need God? And then something happens and we say, oh, we need God. And then we're like, ah, oh, help us. So it's just that repeating over and over again that I think helps refine us and show us where the human heart really is, where... Mm-hmm how we are we are enslaved to this um it's not just the enslavement of the israelites to pharaoh but we're kind of enslaved to this repeating theme in scripture that we just keep you know the way that peter puts it you know the dog going back to his own vomit yeah um and i know that's colorful but <laughs> but it, but that's what it is like we just keep going back to our own vomit mm-hmm. and that that's what's happening here in Pharaoh's not so different from us, I think, um, in, in the narrative. Yeah. So what are, your, what are your thoughts with this? Well, my first thought was um, I, I kind of thought it was interesting that there's no, like, addressing the fact that Moses or that Pharaoh has lied to Moses and God again for the second time. It's kind of like, I don't know. I just thought it just seems strange to me that in the narrative it's not like, really, Pharaoh, you have lied again about mm-hmm. being willing to let the people go? And then Garrett and I were kind of talking about how, like, um, sometimes with Caleb, when we're disciplining him, if he's done something wrong, sometimes his response to us getting on to him is to do something else wrong oh, in, the yeah, midst, yeah, yeah. in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, we usually still end up using, using one punishment to... Encapsulate. One, one punishment, one consequence, like, you yeah. know, um, taking something away or going to timeout or whatever um, to kind of... Uh, Encapsulate it, the whole yes, ordeal. Yes, And so I kind of feel like it's just like what's happening with the livestock here is kind of like, yeah, we're addressing that too. Like when you... Because we'll have Caleb apologize to us and we'll want him to include every, you know, like... We we'll want him to recognize everything, not right. just all the names the, that he called us. That <laughs> right. he pushed Sadie over that he threw something. All the grievances. all those things that happened at um, that same time. Yeah. yeah, and so it just I think that's kind of what's happening here. Um, but I just think it's kind of interesting that it's not like I don't know. I I would just be very. I'm just bothered by the fact that Pharaoh has lied a second time and nobody is like addressing it verbally mm-hmm. here. Um, sure. Uh, but I, I think that's kind of what's happening. It's like, okay, well, you know what? We're just going to, uh, uh, kill the livestock, which is kind of the next interesting point about this is that this is the first time that I think you put it as like destruction of creation. Well, yeah. So before it was kind of cre- created things are being used to bring destruction on Pharaoh. And right. now this is the first time. Uh, the plague is directed against the created things mm-hmm. um, and, as opposed to utilizing, you know, I guess the opposite of that would be if it was going to be in line with the rest of them, it'd be like, and the cattle are going to stampede over all right, of Egypt. Right, right. And so that would be like the inverse that the other ones have been doing is that like the cattle would run over everybody. Instead, yeah. the livestock is going to die. Um, and, and that so it's the first time that it is the the created things that are being um that are you know being taken away yeah and to me this one feels pretty severe too in terms of like everything that livestock would be used for mm-hmm. you know when i think about like horses i think about 
traveling and then like just obviously food and well cultivating and, i mean yeah. they're they're a food based the reason they're so rich is because they're they have they can produce so much food yeah and but you can't produce food without being able to plow and so livestock is so much more than just being able to have meat right it's um it's a, a way of life. It's the way you produce your crops and right. things like that. So whenever they die, that's a big deal um, mm-hmm. that, that they're losing um, a huge part of their economy and what they rely on to survive. Um, and then another thing that I noticed was that, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, is in this case, the Lord set a time and mm-hmm. said, tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. And um, it's kind of... It is especially juxtaposed with when Pharaoh was the one given the opportunity to kind of set the set the time. Right. And I think it's just kind of it. It kind of reminds me of like an arm wrestling match where it's kind of like you're kind of going easy. Like there's somebody who you know is going to win, and they're kind of going easy on the person at first, and then they just kind of like slam their arm right. down right. after a little while because yeah. it's like just up to them as to win. They want to take the victory. Right. And so it's kind of like, okay, like, we've had enough of this nonsense. This is when this is happening because you haven't let my people go. Sure. And so I just think that that's kind of an interesting transition. And I feel like Moses kind of setting the time in the last chapter as well was, like, kind of a showing that transition of, like, God really has the power here. Sure. Like, it's, we're just giving you the perception that you have some control over this. Right. And it was just, a, like, to give him honor. And then he's yeah. kind of lost like that Like, being honor. respectful of yeah. that. But now you've lied twice. Right. So. And now he's kind of lost that honor along the way. And and I, I think one of the pointed words there is, is very interesting. Uh, verse 5, And Yahweh set an appointed time. Saying tomorrow Yahweh will be will do this thing in the land, and so that's a that's very Genesis chapter one um, language that he appointed the you know the the greater light and the lesser light to rule over the day and the night, and so it, it's like this it's this appointment it's this um, royal style um, ruling that he that he's giving. Um, you know, to some, some point in time. Um, but anyways, it's, it's a, um, it's a kingly thing, an appointment. It's something that he's giving, he's saying, this is an edict, um, that he's giving. He's exercising his kingly powers, Mm -hmm. I suppose, over creation. It, that it is like, I, I created creation, I can decreate it. Mm -hmm. And he, it seems like that's kind of what he's doing is he's allowing the chaos to swallow them up where he was the one separating out and, um, and, and bringing up livestock from the ground. Now he's allowing it to, to die, um, and allowing chaos to kind of take back over. Um, and so, you know, and and then uh, again, the pointed thing here being that Israel is separated from it. So they're in the land of Goshen, um, which was what was given them from, um, from the previous, for one of the previous pharaohs that was with Jacob or with uh, with Joseph, and so that particular place, in that particular place, they don't have the the livestock didn't die, and so it's very obvious that it's like, hey, this was definitely a Yahweh's hand, and then um, the some Hebrew word plays going on in verse um, um, six, um, and, or I'm sorry, in verse seven, it says, and Pharaoh sent to check and turn and it turned out not even one from the livestock of Israel had died. So Yahweh is demanding that he salah his people. He's saying, salah my people. And then the end of this this uh, plague, it says that Pharaoh salahed his people. He, he salahs them out to go check out to see what's going on. His own people. Yeah, and so it's kind of that play is going on here, and it'll, it'll reoccur, uh, I think, in a couple in the hail um, narrative here. Kind of going along with that verse, though, is I think it's so funny that Pharaoh is like, y- you go you go check and make and see if their animals didn't really die. Like, it just, it's funny to me that it's like, after all this that he's seen, he's he's like, I, I don't believe that none of their animals have been affected kind right. of thing. Like, and it seems like, 
in all of these plagues, it seems like there's something at the end, like the fact that his magicians can't do it or whatever, that just kind of really, it's what tips him over the edge mm-hmm. to, to harden his, his heart. Yeah. And so like it feels like here when he realized that the Israelites' animals were still okay, that it was like that was just like the tipping point of like he's just growing in his frustration. Yeah. And you can just feel his heart grow hard whenever he's and again, I think that there's this aspect of Yahweh's coming into my court mm-hmm. and creating all these problems for for me and he's hardening his heart against this person that's challenging him. Mm-hmm. And so I I think that there's that that's going on that yes, Yahweh is hardening his heart. Yes, Pharaoh is hardening his own heart. It's a it's not a Either or, it's an and both that's happening here. Is that he's Yahweh's showing up and demonstrating his power, and it's making Pharaoh, you know, try to fight back Mm -hmm. and uh, and try to exert his own power, and so he hardened his heart, and that's you know, that's that last line that we get there that Pharaoh hardened his heart was again insensitive, and he did not release the people. So picking up in verse eight, it says, and Yahweh said to Moses and to Aaron, take for yourselves full handfuls of soot from the smelting furnace, and let Moses sprinkle it towards the heavens before the eyes of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and it will become on humans and on animals a skin sore, sprouting blisters in all the land of Egypt. And they took the soot of the smelting furnace, and they stood before Pharaoh, and Moses sprinkled it towards the heavens, and it became a became skin sores, sprouting blisters on humans and on animals. And the magicians were not able to stand before Moses because of the skin sores. And the skin sores were on the magicians and on all, of, uh, on all the Egyptians. And Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them as Yahweh had spoken to Moses. So, of course, when I first read this, I can't, I'm picturing Moses and Aaron, 80 and 83, right? throwing <laughs> like ash basically into the air. And I'm thinking of that gif of the guy who like throws glitter in front of his face <laughs> and like kind of like moves his head back and forth in it right. or whatever. And that's like, except for I'm pic- picturing old men doing that. Right. And uh, it's just... I don't know why my mind goes to my our minds clearly work differently. My mind's going there. You're like making connections in the Bible. I'm thinking of gifts, so that's just like fundamental differences. <laughs> well, I I like to think of those types of things too. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think for me, I I'm looking back again. This is the third set of three. I'm sorry, the the second set of three. This is the third one. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is very much tied with the gnats. Yeah. And the gnats, they took the staff and they like kicked it up in the air and you can see like this dust that comes up yeah. and that death the death dust that gets sprayed and, and um he and it creates the gnats well here they just they go to the furnace and they get the the soot and they kind of throw it up in the air um and so it's very much the same type of thing it, and it would become fine dust over all the land again it's this um you know, I, I'm I'm very curious if that's the same word for dust, but, um, anyways, it's it's recapitulating the previous one, and again, it's that it's that one two three punch that you're just getting that swift one. There's no there's no warning to yeah. this one. It's just immediate, and Pharaoh gets that swift last punch in the in the series. And I think what is meant to be highlighted, there's a lot of repetition in these in these verses. Mm-hmm. It's, the same thing happened with the gnat, with the with the gnats. It just it feels like it repeats a lot of the same words over again. And I think it's meant to make us try to hone in on some things. And I don't know necessarily what those things exactly are right now, but I think it has to do with the magicians and their inability to even stand before Moses now. Yeah, because so, this is like really the first time the magicians have come up. Even since then, I think. Yeah, it, it's they. Yeah, they they, they haven't kinda, played a role. They, they didn't play a role di- in the previous yeah, two. So, yeah, they kind of disappeared for a minute. Yeah, they tried to recreate the gnats. That's the last time we saw them, mm-hmm. and now they're back into the narrative again. And the 
the thing that's different is that now they can't even stand before Moses mm-hmm. because of how bad these skin sores are uh, on their bodies. And so I, I think that's what's meant to be highlighted here for us is that we just see like how powerful this is that it's even, you know, the inability to stand before God's messenger. Um, and so you notice anything else here? Before we get into yeah the last yeah verse. we can just go ahead and do it if that's I just uh, want to make sure you didn't have anything else no I mean I think this isn't that important but I just I did notice that I don't remember the animals being involved with this one it's just something I'd kind of forgotten that the animals also had the boils which is kind of interesting I know that there's I guess we well maybe we should kind of address this of just. How, you know, it's like, well, I thought we destroyed all the livestock. Sure, yeah. And I know. think the, the point being isn't that it's, it was supposed to be like utter obliteration before. Um, you know, Peter ends is like, hey, you know, the use of all before was basically hyperbole to show an emphasis of how big of a deal it was. There's going to be livestock in Egypt for more than just um, the these chapters. Whenever they mm-hmm. go into, I think whenever they, the the parting of the Red Sea when the Egyptians go in. I mean, they have livestock that's escorting them in, you know, on their chariots and stuff. And so there's there's something that's left over from it. The whole point is being that a bunch of cattle die, you know, mm-hmm. a, a bunch of livestock die as a result of Yahweh's work. Not necessarily all of them. Um, it's It's a use of hyperbole to show... Yeah. Yahweh's power. Well, and, and something else I was kind of wondering is, and there's really no way of knowing this, but just kind of like considering the fact that like the Israelites still had their livestock, well, they were slaves to the Egyptians. So like what's to say that they sure. didn't just like take it from them and sure. claim it as their own? Um, and I don't know. I mean, I can definitely see that happening. Why yeah. not? <laughs> yeah, it's just not a narrative. There's not yeah. a narrative aspect to that. It just yeah. is, we're meant to just move on and be like, okay, you know, yeah. so like, it's not, I think a lot of people would try to be like, oh, look, you know, errors in the Bible. And I, I, I really just don't know that these sections are meant to be used that way where it's like, oh, the author didn't know that he had just said that all the cattle died. You know, all the livestock died. Right. And now, um, you know, he's just an idiot, I guess. And so that's when we're, when we're, Approaching it that way, we're not giving respect to the person that wrote it and the, the story that they're trying to tell. And the story they're trying to tell isn't about a count of livestock. Right. It's about the power of Yahweh right. and what it means to know him. That's the story. Are, is he telling me that story? Absolutely, he's telling me that story. Right. And so we got to quit trying to pick it apart from that aspect and respect the author for the story he's trying to tell. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, I think we can we can really start to get more out of it than... We do when we're just trying to be, I guess, more <laughs> more sar- sarcastically trying to just attack the Bible, you yeah. know, and um, and so I I think that's something that we have to we have to challenge. I think that's something that's really prominent in our culture that we try to do that stuff. We want we want the authors to tell a narrative the way that we would tell a narrative, mm-hmm. and that's just not how they tell narratives. Mm-hmm. That's just not how they do it. I mean, there's a there's a whole um, I I'd have to go back and look at the two different people i this was in one of my recent books that i read um of uh it was a battle between uh the egyptians and another group of people that was to the north um i forget what that group of people was but anyways it was a huge big deal battle and the pharaoh came back and he there was all this propaganda that was put out for it and there were basically like four different uh recountings of the story from pharaoh's perspective and none of them exactly line up, but it doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. It means that Pharaoh was trying to that Pharaoh was trying to tell a story to different groups of people, and he he did it differently for the the peasants as as he did for maybe his upper class people that he's trying to get to buy into him, and and follow his leadership. Um, he's just telling it in a different way. Hieroglyphs tell a different you tell a different story with hieroglyphs than you do with maybe some more um, formal type of writing. Um, and then not only that, but the other group of people said that they won the battle, you know, and then they had their own tellings of it. But it, neither of them means that it didn't happen. It it means that something very much did happen, 
but each of them is trying to tell a particular story based off of it. And then that's kind of what's happening. We have to respect that at, about it. And what what's happening here is we're being we're being given um, from the from the author's perspective, you know, what Yahweh's work was in this and who what he was trying to do. He was trying to teach people who he was and, and have them come to know him. And so that's what's going on here. Let's not try to nitpick little piece parts of it and then mm-hmm. say, oh, look, it didn't happen, you know, right. or whatever. That's just not the way it's supposed to be used. Right. So anyways, that was kind of a diatribe, and I'm sorry. But um, I, I think we just have to respect, we have to respect the authors and not just pretend that they're just a bunch of bambling, bumbling baboons, you know, writing this. And that's, but that's how we treat them. That's how we treat it so often that they just don't know what they're doing. And, um, and so anyways... We can continue now. Um, so this last part of the, and Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart, um, and he did not listen to them as Yahweh had spoken to Moses. And I think a lot of people really struggle with this. I know that I struggle with this. And so this is a hard statement. How do you deal with this? How do you deal with Yahweh? Hard, why would Yahweh harden Pharaoh's heart? And, you know, people have, have talked about this. There's lots of different views on it. One thing I do want to to highlight on it is that look at what we've done in the narrative so far. This is the first time that it's come up that Yahweh has actually hardened Pharaoh's heart. Every other time it's been about Pharaoh hardening his own heart. And, um, and is Yahweh a part of that? Yeah, I think he is. Whenever you walk into somebody's house and you say, this is my house, they're going to be like, no, that's not your house. You know, it's like, it's going to harden your heart's going to harden against that person. And so I, I think that it is a, and both thing. Um, it's not an either or, and so now we get on the back half, and we're going to see more of this Yahweh hardening his heart. And I, I think I think Yahweh is he's had enough of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has continually lied to try to get out of situations, and now he's he's just had enough, and now he's going to make an example of Pharaoh, and that is uncomfortable for us. Yeah, I think think it's really helpful to think about it in terms of movies, Mm -hmm. Um, just because if this were to play out as a movie, we would be like, just strike him dead already. Like, um, you know, this guy is terrible. Like, you know, we would feel this need for justice more immediate than what has happened because it is hard to kind of flip your perspective on this, but if you can see this as being God's patience with Pharaoh, yes, of giving him, you know, so far, what, five, six opportunities to make the right choice. Um, and, and the other thing is, is speaking of choices, is I don't think that hardening Pharaoh's heart um, was necessarily, I don't think that equates to controlling his choices. No, absolutely not. Um, no, so I, 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 and we talked about this before. Is I I think that he very much has, he he very much has agency in this, um, and, I, and I think it's probably more so that he is heightening maybe Pharaoh's already preconceived dispositions mm-hmm. of the the way that he would he would already normally be uh, oriented to go, um, and, and and so I I think that's probably more so what's happening here. And again, it's not like his his necessarily his feelings that are being hardened. When we see hardened his heart, we think about the feelings, and the feelings are kind of built into the heart in Hebrew. Um, but it means a lot more than that. Uh, they don't have a word for the brain, you know, or whatever it is that where you make logical decisions. Um, and so that that is encapsulated in the word for heart. It's the word lev um, in Hebrew. But this is, this is what, and I think I read this before, John Golden Gay writes this, Yet the implication is not that Yahweh made Pharaoh do something against his will. Before the story speaks of Yahweh hardening Pharaoh's heart, it speaks of Pharaoh's heart being hard and of Pharaoh hardening his own heart. I imagine Yahweh doing the hardening not by manipulating his neurons, but by encouraging Pharaoh to think about the disadvantages of releasing the Israelites and by whispering, I am God, not you. And so again, I think it's that approaching and coming into his courts that's mm-hmm. just naturally going to harden his heart against him. And, um, and so I, I, think, I think we're meant to struggle with it. It is okay to struggle with this line. I think we just need to, maybe it, it helps if we can step away from our, um, 
a lot of our preconceived ideas um, about what who Yahweh is, Yahweh's not going to put up. He's not going to put up with garbage for forever, you know. And he's going to wait for he he want he does want to people to come to him and ask for forgiveness. But that's not happening. That's not something you know. Pharaoh's not asking, "Hey Yahweh, soften my heart." He's not seeking him out. He's um, he's being hardened against him, um, and so I, I think that that's probably you know something that we need to see in it too is that mm-hmm. he's not he's not exactly seeking out Yahweh either. So I, I think there, there's a there's a obvious. I mean, it's something to struggle with and yeah. something to to wrestle with, and I I think it's meant it's very to me it's very intentional that it happens on plague, you know, on the sixth plague, it's like on the back half of the plagues, there's been five opportunities before this, um, and you kind of have this transition all of a sudden to now Yahweh harden Pharaoh's heart. I, I think the author's doing something intentional here mm-hmm. um, to make us think. So, um, you want to read this last section? All right. So this is a This is a long one. All right. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people, so you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt, from the day it was founded till now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter, because the hail will fall on every man and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field, and they will die. And they will die. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky so that hail will fall all over Egypt, on men and animals and on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his, hand, stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail, and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail hail fell, (laughs) hail fell, and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both men and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You do not have to stay any longer. Moses replied, When I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop, and there will be no more hail. So you may know that the the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were destroyed since the barley had headed and the flax was in bloom. The wheat and the spelt, however, were not destroyed because they ripened later. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city. He spread out his hands toward the Lord. The thunder and hail stopped and the rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. Okay, so again, this one's really long. It's the first in the in the last set of three. So it's giving the most uh, information that we've had over this whole time. Yeah, and it, it's yeah, it's just built even. Yeah, further. and it's it's building on the previous ones, and now he's letting him know, dude, I could have wiped you out if I wanted to. Um, but instead I'm using, I'm using this situation to show you something new. Yeah. Um, and I, and, and again, I could have stretched out my hand before the guys, the magicians have said, this is the finger of God. 
now this is the hand of God. And so it's mm-hmm. like you're kind of growing. The hand of God has been in these la- the last few, um, mm-hmm. and it's grown from the finger to the hand, and it'll be like the outstretched arm of God. Um, and so you're kind of getting more and more of God's glory and his power uh, that's developing. And you know he's saying I I could have I could have struck you and and taken you out from this place, but I have caused you to be in this position for the sake of showing you my strength in order to proclaim my name in all the earth. And again, this is about so that they may know. This is about so that everybody can know who I am and know my power. Um, and so he's saying, hey, about this time I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring it um, tomorrow. And, um, and it's going to be really hard. But one thing, one thing I think that's really interesting Mm -hmm. about this particular narrative now is that, um, it's not just that, Hey, so before it was like the Israelites were kind of separated from it and shown, and that's still true. But now there's like a a grace opportunity given to the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. Even the Egyptians are brought into the fold of anybody that wants to listen to Yahweh, then take cover Bring in all your animals. I'm giving you forewarning so you can protect yourselves. And it's yeah. like if you can, if you can go ahead and make that happen. I mean, like this. I'm thinking about like golf ball size hail or bigger. Yeah, I'm thinking that, baseballs falling. Yeah, from the well, sky. I mean, either way. But think about, but <laughs> like golf balls falling from the sky yeah. is that you're not going to be able to go out and take care of your livestock once it begins. Mm-hmm. And so you're given the forewarning and grace to bring them in, and they'll be protected in there. And maybe there will be some destruction to your house or whatever. But your everything that you, that belongs to you, you can take care of. Yeah. Um, and so there's this grace given to the, the the Egyptians that hasn't been provided before. He's actually now bringing them into the fold, which I think is very interesting, especially whenever I look forward to Jesus and and uh, and Paul and bringing being being a messenger to the Gentiles and being brought into the fold. Mm-hmm. And so now the Egyptians are brought in, um, and. And so they're given that opportunity and grace. Do you have any, any thoughts on this? Well, just this whole first, like, I guess, 13 through 20, it's just showing to me God's really emphasizing his patience and his grace with the with these people. Um, just, I mean, it's what we've been thinking the whole time of, like, trying to to change our mindset to be like, wow, these plagues are really grace periods for Pharaoh and for the Egyptians. And now this is God kind of emphasizing that of like, I could have already handled you if I wanted to. Right. Um, But that I want relationship with you. I want you to know me. And, um, but these things have consequences at the same time. Right. Uh, The things that have happened have consequences but I do want an opportunity for you to turn and do the, you know, and do the right thing here. Um, so I just, I don't know. I really loved this. I loved this whole. Yeah. I, I think, I think before well. I didn't realize how much like the, the bringing in yeah. of, of the Egyptians, you kind of think it's like, Oh, like he was just bad with Pharaoh and the Egyptian. He did bad things to them. He did good things to the Israelites and, this idea that now they're brought in, I'm interested to see how this kind of develops. Um, and maybe maybe think a little bit more about Passover and was that offered to them too. Um, but anyways, that's kind of looking forward. But so, so I think that one of the other really interesting things here is obviously Pharaoh kind of saying like that he sinned, that the Lord is right and me and my people are wrong. And um, Moses's response of like, okay, you know, like I'll I'll pray and uh, and we'll stop the the storm, but I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God, and it kind of reminded me of Jonah, where it's kind of like saying all the right things, but your heart's not really in it in right. it right. Um, because like, it's just like, this is a point where he's just trying to make the bad stuff go away. Right. Um, I think, you know, when I was first reading it, I kind of was like, oh, is this the real deal? Because it kind of has seemed like, you know, he's like, yes, like, please, like God, he's recognizing that God is the only one who can stop these plagues. And so it does seem like he understands God's power to an extent 
but he is still not to the point of like genuine repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, I don't know. I just thought this whole conversation was interesting of just like, okay, I'll still go up to bat for you and pray for you. Um, but I know the, I know the truth. I know that you don't really fear God. Yeah. And so I, I really want to highlight that of like, he has, Pharaoh has the right words, but not the right heart. Mm-hmm. And that, that will remain to be true, not just for Pharaoh, that will remain to be true for even for the Israelites before they go into exile. It's like, render your hearts and not your garments. Um, you know, stop acting this thing outwardly and not having any inward change. Mm-hmm. And so that I think that's what's happening here. Why it's being shown that you can have the right words and not the right heart. Mm-hmm. Um, that maybe you know exactly what to say to God, just like Jonah did, which is what you mentioned, uh, but not really be rendering yourself unto Yahweh. And, and 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 yeah, Moses is basically like, "You're a liar. I know that you're a liar. I'm going to intercede for you anyways, because um, because you've asked me to, mm-hmm. um, and because you know you." That's that's what you that's what you wanted, and again, it's that praying for your enemies um, whenever they're they yeah. don't really deserve it at all. Um, that that is is very interesting. I I think um, you you thought one thing was really funny with thirty one and thirty two. It says <laughs> that the barley's were, barley was struck, um, and it you know it was in ear and the uh, the flax was in bud, but the wheat. Um, and the spelt were not struck. Yeah, I was like, what in the world? This is like the most random thing. What a, what a weird <laughs> detail, right? Um, and and I, I, think it, I think it's to point out that there is some grace in this, in that there, it, he didn't just like totally wipe out all of their harvest. He wiped out the harvest that was happening right there in front of them. But the weed is still in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also you need to give something for the locusts to eat. Uh, <laughs> looking forward. Um, but the idea of being here right in the middle of this one, it's like, hey, there's still something out there for our harvest, you know, that we could yeah. maybe still have. He didn't take everything away. There is some grace here in 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 leaving leaving the wheat um, for the future. And also, um, I guess there's plenty of of straw now for for brick making bricks. <laughs> Um, so yeah. with all the dead barley, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's maybe a little bit of a pun that's going in there and kind of a jab at Pharaoh for not letting them have straw. Yeah. Now, there's, now there's plenty of straw plenty of and just a bunch of dead barley. Um, I just think that this whole, I mean, just through all the, the plagues, it's just so interesting. I think this just says a lot about God's response to people who, uh, ask but don't even have the right heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, like he's still listening to them. He's still, he's still listening to Pharaoh, and he's still stopping these plagues, even though Pharaoh's heart is not in the right place. And like, I think that there is some comfort in that of just like knowing, like we don't, we don't have to get everything perfect sure. for God to hear us. Yeah, um, and, and and I think that this is going to be meaningful to the Israelites even before this book is even over, they're going to have hard hearts in the desert. Um, and they're going to, they're going to go to Moses and be like, you need to do something like go, go mm-hmm. on our behalf to Yahweh. And it's like, they're not, they're not, they're still not where they need to be yeah. um, in their hearts. And yet Yahweh is showing grace to them in the desert. And, and so I, I think that that's going to be, again, that's a recapitulation. That's something that happens over and over and over again, that they don't have the right hearts. And yet Yahweh continu- continues to show them grace. And, and, and like, the whole thing. It's like remaining hope for them. Yes. You know? And the whole, the whole thing is pointing towards this new covenant and that um, it, the Jeremiah 31 new covenant of that, listen, you, you've got a hard heart and that's what we need to deal with. Um, and that, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you a new heart and I'm going to, Jeremiah 31 is I'm going to write my Torah on your heart. I'm going to give you my instruction. It's going to be something that's built into you now Mm -hmm. and that no longer are you going to have this hard heart, but I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh. And that, I I can't remember which, which of the prophets that comes from, but I'm going to give you this heart of flesh, um, that's soft, right? That's not hard. Pharaoh's problem is Israel's problem. Israel's problem is our problem. That we have this hard heart, but God is promising 
that sometime in the future that he's going to give us this soft heart. And then, and that's part of this new covenant. And then Jesus sits at the Lord's Supper and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood that is spilled out for you, that's being poured out and establishing this covenant. And and the whole point of that being that all of this has been pointing towards and saying, you have a hard heart. I need to do something about that. There's going to be a time I'm going to make that happen, that I'm going to soften your heart. I'm going to write my Torah on your heart. And Jesus is saying, this is happening here and now at the Lord's Supper. And then you're going to see that happen in Acts chapter 2, where then they're filled with the Spirit and Yahweh's Torah is on their heart.